Hello listeners and welcome to my fabulous blind life. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm going to be taking you on my journey of losing my sight from when I was 21, getting married, and becoming the mother of two boys. There will be tears, there will be laughs, and there will be utter meltdowns. I hope you enjoy and thanks for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my fabulous blind life. I'm your host, Nicole, and we're going to be talking about my life and journey as a blind person. I am 46 years old. I've been married for 20 years. I have two boys, a five-year-old and a 17-year-old, and I'm going to be sharing with you personal triumphs and struggles through my life. I lost my sight at age 21. So you guys are probably wondering, how did I get here? How did I lose my sight? Well, we're gonna have to tell some backstory for that. At age 17, I got diagnosed with really bad menstrual headaches. So my doctor prescribed me some 800 milligram prescription strength ibuprofen for me to take when these headaches set it on. Um, This is probably where my trouble first started, but because I was a teenager and a hellion of a teenager and kind of partying really hard, I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on with myself. So I would just pop the pills when I had a headache, thinking that that's all it would take. Then we fast forward to when I was 21 and I'm headed off to Florida to see my cousin get married and this is where all my troubles started. So by two, day two of my family vacation, I started to get a headache, which slowly started to creep into my neck. We were going to amusement parks and riding all kinds of rides, so I figured that the rides might be causing my pain at that time. So I started taking ibuprofen for the pain, but nothing was really touching it. By day eight, I was having a lot of nausea and my pain was pretty severe. By day 10, I was feeling like shit and I flew home on the plane feeling nauseous, extreme headache, extreme pain. So when I returned home, I basically called in sick to my job for a day or two. And at this time I was working at a place called Ola Mills Portrait Studio and I was doing various different jobs there. I slept for about a day and then woke up the next day not feeling any better and started my journey of what would be many visits to doctors. So my first trip to urgent care, I went in there with my symptoms and told them what was going on and where I had been. They basically told me that they thought the rides had caused some sort of muscle spasms, gave me some pretty heavy painkillers and muscle relaxers, sent me on my way and said I should be good to go in a few days. So after a few days and popping all these painkillers and relief never coming, I finally called in reinforcements. I called my grandmother to come get me and take me to her house and help me recover. 
So when my grandmother picked me up, she helped me for a few days, but the pain wasn't getting any better. It was in fact getting worse. So I had yet another visit to urgent care. At this visit, they basically did the same thing, made the same assessment, but gave me heavier drugs and sent me home yet again with the same diagnosis of muscle spasms. So grandma took me home yet again with my new meds and we tried those out, but no relief came yet again. By this time, I'm having trouble walking and I'm profusely sweating. So grandmother called the primary care physician and got me in immediately. My primary care physician actually made the same diagnosis and said she agreed with the other doctor. She thought it was muscle spasms and then sent me to a chiropractor to get an adjustment. So, at the chiropractor, I had a neck and back x-ray and he did an adjustment on my neck. This is where we began to suspect something else might be going on because the chiropractor said he saw white spaces in my neck and vertebrae x-ray. And he sent us home. He also told my grandmother to soak me in Epsom salts and do a little old-fashioned medicine. So grandma and I went home, took my medication, soaked me in Epsom salts for a day or two, but still no relief came and my pain became unbearable. Grandma was getting increasingly worried at this point in time. So grandma decides to run me into the emergency room. She calls in my aunt for reinforcements because by this time I'm having such problems walking and because I was overweight, I needed assistance and my poor little grandma couldn't help me by herself. When we get into the emergency room, it's absolutely packed. There is probably a two and a half to three hour wait. So I check in and I proceed to lay on the floor with ice on my pack, back and neck crying in so much pain. So, the people in the emergency room were looking at me and asking my grandmother what was wrong with me. Some of them started to feel really bad for me. I guess they could tell how much pain I was in by the way I looked on the floor. A few of them went up to the front desk and said that I could have their space and go in front of them. Even the guy with the broken leg said just by looking at me, he knew I was in more pain than him and I could go in front of him. So I need to backtrack a little because I have two other symptoms that were presenting at this time that really alerted my grandmother to run me into the emergency room this evening. My face had started to droop on the right side almost as if I had had a stroke and my vision was doubled and blurry. So once I got back into the emergency room, I think my grandmother and I encountered the most rudest doctor we had ever met. Now remember, by this time, I am pretty out of it and I can barely speak. My grandmother, who had dutifully been writing down everything that was happening to me on a card, started to read it to the doctor. The doctor promptly turned to her, put his hand in front of her face and said, I need to hear it from her. So me, I did the best I could and I pointed to my head and said, it hurts. I said, my eyes. I'm seeing double and blurry. I pointed to my neck and I said, it fucking hurts. 
And then I told him, look at my goddamn face. And after that, I think he pretty much got the point of what was going on. So, as I was pretty much out of it, apparently the doctor conducted some sort of examination. What it was, I have no clue. At the end of this examination, he told me what he thought was wrong with me, and I'm pretty sure he said it in some sort of medical mumbo-jumbo, but I'm just going to say it how I heard it. Pretty much he told me because I was so obese and I was taking so many drugs, my face was drooping but because of my weight, it wasn't touching the pain. So his solution was to give me even more heavier duty drugs, which I could not walk at all afterwards, and basically wheel me out of the emergency room and let me go home. Thank you, rude doctor, for that one. So grandma and I return home, and by this time, I'm fucking fed up. Grandma's pretty fed up. We can't get anybody to listen or help me. So I lay down on the couch and grandma calls in reinforcements. She calls up to Washington State where my mom lives and my grandfather just happens to be at that particular time watching her property get logged and says, I need help. It's about five o'clock at night. Grandma tells them what's been going on and how I look. Grandpa and mom hop in the car and do a straight shot down to California. During their driving time, I fell off the couch when I was trying to get up to use the restroom. For some reason, I could not get up for the life of me. I tried and tried and tried and it just wasn't happening. So grandma made me a bed on the floor and said, just pee on my blankets or just pee in this bowl. She tried and tried to get me to pee, but I was way too proud to pee myself. I chose to just hold it. And that night grandma slept up in a chair and I basically laid on the floor in my little makeshift bed. I'm pretty sure grandma thought that might be my last night on earth. And we basically lay there until six in the morning were awoke by grandpa and mom walking through the door going, what's going on here? I hear my mom walk over to me, say, oh shit, go over to the phone and call 911. So the paramedics and the firemen arrive and they walk into the house. And my mom basically says, this is my daughter and she needs to go to the emergency room. And they asked her, what's wrong with her? And he says, she says, well, just, just look at her. She needs to go to the emergency room. So the first discussion these lovely people had was how fat I was and how in the hell are they going to get me to the ambulance? I'm laying on the floor like, thanks guys, you're awesome. I love ya. Anyway, they've been down to me and they say, ma'am, what's the matter? And I just said, I'm in fucking pain. And then they say, well, do you want to go to the hospital? I say, what the hell's the point? They're not going to do anything for me. So they stand up and tell my mom, well, she doesn't even want to go to the hospital. And my mom's like, well, she needs to go to the hospital. She can't even walk. She's 21 years old. It looks like she's had a stroke. She could be dying. So they bend down to me again and they say, ma'am, do you want to go to the hospital? And I say, what for? And they say, well, what did you take today? And I tell them, well, I took all the drugs that they told me to take. And they're like, ma'am, do you really want to go to the hospital? And I said, I don't know, ask my mom. <laughs> so basically, 
my mom took over and said, you're taking to the hospital. I don't care how many firemen you have to get here to pick her up, she needs to go in. So after the big ordeal that the paramedics and the firemen made for getting my butt into the ambulance, we get in the ambulance and I hear the paramedic driver say, we're coming in with a morbidly obese woman, non-emergency. I'm laying back there going, what the hell, non-emergency? I'm pretty sure I'm fucking dying here. So into the emergency room, I get wheeled and I'm placed in a hallway and a doctor comes, I don't know what his name was. And he starts to talk to me and says, how are you doing today, young lady? And I basically said, shitty, <laughs> because I'm a non-emergency or beast woman coming into your room, basically. And so he starts to look at me and the next thing I know, he is barking order after order after order, saying, calling this doctor, calling that doctor, calling this doctor, get this woman in a room. We have an emergency room or emergency here. I'm like, holy crap, finally, I am an emergency. Somebody's going to help me. So first things first, I still had to pee from the night before. So even though I protested and begged them to let me just walk to the bathroom and go pee, my mom reminded me that, well, I couldn't walk by this point. So a nurse finally got a catheter in me and I finally got relief. And I felt so much better. Once the doctor called in all the other doctors, I was examined by I don't know how many doctors, asked the same questions over and over again, had to go through the same story over and over again. And then finally, after all that was done, the doctor came in, the one that saw me first, and said to my grandmother and mom, I think she might have what's called Guillain-Barre syndrome. What that is medically, I couldn't tell you. You'd probably have to Google it. But what it boiled down to is they had to see what was going on with the spinal fluid in my spine. So they needed to do a spinal tap that evening to test it to see what was going on. So they attempted a spinal tap that evening but could not get it. So I was admitted into ICU, put on a morphine drip to where I was given a button that I could hit three times an hour and get three milligrams of morphine. And if I was still in pain, I could always buzz my nurse for more. It always seemed like the three milligrams was never enough to keep my pain at bay. So they ran a whole bunch of blood work. The next day they did another spinal tap. And I guess they didn't get what they wanted from this spinal tap that I had the Guillain-Barre syndrome. What they did get was an elevated reading of the spinal fluid that they took from my spine. So they thought maybe that it was because of the position I was in and because I was overweight that they should probably do another spinal tap that's more accurate with a machine. So I wait for a couple days and there's just test after test after test, two MRIs, several CAT scans, who knows what else till they put me on this machine to do another spinal thing. And at this test, they get the same elevated reading of my spinal fluid, but yet again, they chalked it up to the position I was in and my weight, that they're getting this elevated reading in my spinal fluid. By this time, I've been there maybe eight or nine days and I've been poked, I've been prodded, I've been in an ambulance several times, I've 
had so many things done to me. So I'm laying there pretty much thinking, I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what's happening to me. And the doctors come in and tell me basically the same thing in Dr. Mumbo Jumbo. And they tell me, we think this could be psychosomatic or possibly because of your promiscuous history, you might have AIDS. So as tears run down my face, I have yet another needle jabbed in my arm for my AIDS test. And it is now 4th of July weekend in the summer of 1997. My primary doctor says, none of your regular doctors are gonna be in this weekend and I will check back on you on Monday. Okay, whatever. By this time, I'm pretty much considering the fact that I'm just gonna lay here and die because nobody can help me. So I remember I was in an excruciating amount of pain and I kept pressing my button over and over and over again and then pressing the nurse's button over and over again because the pain was just unbearable. I was fading in and out of a very, very dark place and each time I faded out, it was even harder to come back. I would hear my name or people shaking me, trying to get more blood or change my catheter bag. I remember a lot of my family was around at this point in time. So I think maybe I've been there about 10 days and by this time my vision is absolutely gone. It's complete darkness. I'm just basically laying in a bed, hitting a button, completely immobile. My family's coming in and out in and out, in and out. I remember sitting there with my cousin talking to her and pressing my button and fading very, very fastly into a very, very deep sleep, which I had an extremely hard time coming back from as my visitors kept coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And then the next thing I know, a doctor that was on call came in and he woke me up and he examined me and then from what I hear, he pulled my nurse out of the room and yelled at her, says, what the hell is this young lady still doing in this hospital? The next thing I know, just utter chaos is going on around me and they're telling me they're transferring up to the University of San Francisco hospital because it's a teaching hospital and they have the best doctors up there, and if anybody's gonna find out what's wrong with me or help me, it's them. I said, sure, whatever you say, but I'm pretty sure had this doctor not said that, I probably would have died this day. My grandmother couldn't even walk into my room because she said it was like walking into death. So this all happened very quickly. I think within 20 minutes of the doctor saying I was getting transferred, I was in an ambulance on my way up to the University of San Francisco Hospital. As I'm laying there in the ambulance, I'm like, great, another bunch of people to torture me, poke me, and prod me. I hear my grandmother, who decided to ride in the ambulance with me, explaining to the driver what was going on with me and what they thought I had but didn't have, and they just don't know what's wrong with me. I'm in my room at the University of San Francisco, all hooked up, got a new nurse, and I'm just laying there doing nothing and a bazillion different residents came in and they're examining me they're talking to me they're flashing things in my eyes and I'm like okay this is fabulous here and they leave 
about 45 minutes later, one of them comes in and says, okay, we've read through your charts and we all agree. We think you have what's called a pseudotumor cerebri, which is increased pressure in your spinal fluid. Our resident doctor is going to come in and confirm it and tonight we're going to do an emergency procedure and tap your back and drain out your spinal fluid to get you some relief with pain. So doctor comes in, takes a look at me, confirms the diagnosis and says, yep, that's what's wrong with you. And he says, we're going to get you ready to do this emergency procedure and we're gonna hook up a drain to your spinal fluid to help you get out of pain. I asked him, will this help my vision? He says, I don't know yet. The fluid that was in your head from the spine was sitting on your optic nerves and you may have some damage there. We're gonna let it drain for a few days and we're thinking whatever sight you get back is probably what you're going to have for the rest of your life. And I asked him, I said, are you sure this is what's wrong with me? Because they tried to tap my spine three separate times at the other hospital. He's like, yep, we're sure this is what's wrong with you. You have swollen optic discs. You have fluid in the back of your eyes. This is definitely what's wrong with you. Well, hooray for that. I finally have a diagnosis. Something's finally going to be done and I'm finally getting some help. So... The drain is put in and they monitor me for the next several days. I finally have some relief from the pain, although I still needed my morphine drip. My vision started to get very dark and shadowy, and after a couple days and a whole new slew of tests, the doctor comes to me and tells me, okay, we need to put a permanent device in you that constantly drains the spinal fluid from your head and empties out into your intestines so you don't have this pressure buildup again and you don't have to be hospitalized. What they're gonna put in me is called a VP shunt. So in about a day or two, I was scheduled for surgery. I went in for surgery. Um, when I got out, I was pretty groggy. They had shaved half of my head and I flipped out about that. I was upset that they had to shave my head halfway and once I got out of recovery, the doctor says, okay, we're gonna monitor you here for another couple of days. We're gonna run a whole bunch more tests. We're gonna test your shunt and make sure it's working. And then once we're done with that, we're gonna send you over to our neighbor to a rehab so they can help you get back on your feet and off the morphine. So over to recovery I go, and I think I'm here in this hospital for probably about a month and a half. My mom dutifully moves in with me. Um, my same doctor is still checking in on me and he's bringing students in and out, in and out to look at me because apparently what I had in my eyes called papilledema is something they don't see very often. So he wanted to make sure all his students could see an active case of it. I'm still on my morphine drip, but not as much. I'm going to occupational therapy, physical therapy. I'm working with all these different people. Um, I told my mom to basically shave the other side of my head. I'd rather look like GI Jane than this because I looked flipping ridiculous, I thought. My vision is pretty much the same. I have dark shadowy images and really, really blurry blind spots. 
I was laying there just waiting and waiting and waiting for more vision to come back, but the doctor kept telling me, I think this might be all you're gonna get back. So I just laid there in recovery. My mom and I watched probably every episode of 90210. We read books. We had nurses coming in and out all hours of the day saying, I need your blood. I have to take your blood. My arms are all bruised. They can hardly find a vein. I'm asking them to please tap my veins. I can't take any more of this. To which they went into my feet to start to take my blood. So my mom is pushing me a lot harder than any of my therapists are. And I'm getting real annoyed with her by this point. I'm pretty much off my morphine drip and they're giving me pain meds as I need them. I'm walking around because I'd been in a bed for so long. And it finally comes to, I think the day before I was about to be discharged to go home, my doctor came in and he insisted that he take pictures from the, of the back of my eyes. And this particular day I'd worked pretty hard in therapy and I was in quite a bit of pain and I was like, I can't, I can't sit up. I can't take these pictures for you. I hurt way too much. He's like, he's very insistent, almost to the point of being rude, saying, nope, I have to take these pictures. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And he asked the nurse to give me some morphine. He sat me up on the side of the bed, brought his big old camera down and took pictures and then he basically sat down on my bed and put his arm on my shoulder and said to me very, very sternly and to my mother, I need you to make sure you visit me in my office before you go to Washington with your mom. And I say, okay. And my mom says, why? And the doctor says, no, I just need to know that you have an appointment in my office before you leave for Washington. You have to see me in my office. I can't let you move to Washington unless you see me. So my mom and I are kind of like, okay, crazy man. So we tell him we'll do that. And he's like, I'm going to have my office call down to your room right now and make you an appointment. We're like, okay. So after that kerfluffle, I'm basically discharged to go home and it's decided amongst my family that it would be best if I went home with my mom to recuperate instead of staying in California with my grandparents. So a couple days before I left, we went to see crazy doctor who insisted I come see him. And we come in there and he rushes up to my mom and says, do you have this in this card of hers? And my mom's like, yeah, I just showed it to the desk downstairs. He's like, well, I need to see it. Please come with me. And I'm like, what is this man doing now? Because by this time, I think he's a little nuts. And so he comes back and he says, okay, Nicole, we're going to dilate your eyes. We're going to take more pictures. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then you'll be on your way. And I said, okay. And I kind of said, hey, mom, what was that all about? She's like, oh, nothing. We'll talk at home. And I'm like, okay. So we do all this and we get done with the appointment and we head home and i'm sitting there on my grandparents couch basically listening to the tv to a movie i'd already seen and my grandmother came and sat next to me and put her arm around my shoulder and then my grandpa sat on the other side and grabbed my hand and i was like holy fuck my aids test was positive like i was pretty sure that's what they were going to tell me and then my mom sits down in a chair across from me and says, I need to tell you what your doctor told me. 
And I was like, okay, because I'm waiting. Your AIDS test is positive. That's pretty much what I was waiting for, but it wasn't, just to let you all know. She says, this doctor says this is the most deliberate case of malpractice he has ever seen. And he's a doctor. He doesn't go around slamming other doctors or talking bad about other doctors, but he is willing to testify in your court case and he suggests that you get an attorney. And I said, why? And she says to me, because they had what they needed to diagnose you after your second spinal tap. And at that point in time, because you were so obese, they just ignored the results. And then on your third spinal tap, yet again, they had what they needed to diagnose you, but they ignored it because of your weight. Up until your third spinal tap, more of your vision could have been saved. After that, the damage was just irreversible. So I sat there kind of stunned and then tears ran down my face and I could not stop crying. I couldn't believe what I was just told. So this is how I lost my sight. How I went from a 21 year old independent, outgoing, charismatic young woman living on her own to a blind individual, scared of the future, not knowing what's going to come. I was anxious. I was traumatized by my situation and I had no idea what was going to happen to me. All I knew is I had to now move back in with my parents up to Washington where they lived, leave my home, leave my friends, leave my job, and basically start all over, but this time I have to do it blind.